All right, welcome to episode 58 of the Bass Lessons Melbourne Player Profile Podcast. This episode features Neil Fairclough, who is a name that you might not be familiar with, but I'm pretty sure you'll all know the band that he's the bass player for. Uh, he's currently playing bass for Queen and has been for quite some time. Um, and uh, I, I went to see the show uh, when they were in town last couple months ago, a few, yeah, a few months ago now, uh, and it was awesome, just uh, a joyous night of music, <laughs> um, it was a, you know, over the top spectacle, it was intimate, it was fun, um, and Neil just nailed it, laid it down, played all the parts that needed to be played, and added his own thing here and there, had a couple of nice basses, um, playing through a big heart key rig, which is his um, amp of choice. Uh, yeah, uh, and I had amazing seats, so big thanks to Neil for that. And then I caught up with him the next morning um, in his hotel room, just before they flew out, they were flying out to Perth, I think. And we had a, we had a big long chat, and uh, just Neil was just one of the nicest guys out there. Um, super humble, but he's a monster player. I've checked out some of his other, his other work. Uh, he has a band called Pocket Central, um, good name, and um, I'm just waiting for that album to come out. So apparently there's stuff in the can, but it's just hasn't been released yet. So uh, yeah, check out this interview with Neil. Um, we talk about a whole bunch of different things, uh, including how he got the gig with Queen, um, which is a pretty cool story. Um, as always, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with FBase who have been handcrafting guitars and basses for over 40 years, offering vintage and contemporary inspired designs. If you're in the market for a new instrument, I highly recommend getting in touch with those guys. Over there in Canada, they make great instruments. Um, And once again, thanks to you guys for supporting this podcast by listening. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions or want to send me a message, you can do so um, using the email info at basslessonsmelbourne.com. And as always, it helps to just kind of share this stuff on the socials. So, you know, if you've got some bass player friends that you think might enjoy this, please let them know, leave a review. It all helps. Um, It all helps with me kind of, you know, having some clout in inverted commas to, to keep getting guys on this show. So... I really hope you enjoy this interview with Neil. Um, He's a super nice guy. Episode 58, Neil Fairclough, everybody. Thanks. Hey guys, what's up? This is Craig here from A Bass Lessons Melbourne and today for our player profile I am joined by Mr Neil Fairclough. How are you doing Craig? I'm good man. 
Good morning. Thank you, and thanks for getting here so early. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Hope the coffee's helping. Yeah, it is, yeah. Thank you. Um, so we're here in sunny Melbourne this morning, um, after you just had two nights. Two nights of rain in sunny two? Melbourne. I know. Yeah. You, you brought it with you. I know, what is it? We literally, you come to Australia and every gig we've done, it's been a deluge. Yeah. So that's Manchester in Australia. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're in town with Queen. Yeah. Are you on a, is it an Australasian tour, is that what you call it? Yeah, we started in, um, we did um, South Korea, we did two shows in Seoul, then to Japan, we did two in Tokyo. Uh, one in Osaka and one in Nagoya, then on to New Zealand. Mm. Have you or, been to New Zealand before? Yeah, we've done, I think this Australasia thing we've done, this is our third time. Right. But in New Zealand we'd only been to Auckland. Right. So this time we got to uh, Wellington and uh, Dunedin, or as oh, we right. like to call it, Dunedin. Dunedin. Because it does sound <coughs> more Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Yeah, For sure. Should, yeah. So we'll start a petition about renaming it. Sounds good. I think it's good. Um, and then, from there, we got we came to Brisbane, and we've done Brisbane. Uh, where else have we done? Sydney, and we did the Sydney firefight. Yeah, you did the honourable um, mention the bushfire relief, uh, which is fantastic. I've, I've met so many people who said that they watched that, and the Queen performance was just um, it was one of the highlights. It went really well. No, yeah. it was really good. Yeah, um, and I think that um, it was such a good cause, and there were so many great people on. You know, and I got to go out and watch uh, Katie Lang. who I was really excited about, and got to meet her afterwards. She was lovely. You know. And uh, Ronan, did you see? I've seen. I've worked with Ronan a couple of times, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, just you know, little uh, charity gigs and stuff. Um, And um, who else was? Oh, Alice Cooper was great. You know, he was like (laughs) old school dude with the had all these props, but he was brilliant. The crowd, you know, you could see the crowd sort of. um, Yeah. And no, but they were great. Dels Goodrum was there. Lots of lots of people. It was great. It was really good. Really good vibe. And uh, but it was a really good. you know, finishing off with, uh, uh, I think uh, Brian guested with, um, uh, what's he called, John Farnham? John Farnham. Yeah, John Farnham. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, uh, which I, which we had to go, he, but he's because that was one of the last things on there. But that's a classic song, isn't it? You know, real anthem. Did it, oh, was it the uh, voice? Yeah, yeah. So um, bagpipe souls in the middle. Gets absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, so yeah, we did that, and then we went on to Melbourne. Here we've done two nights here, and then we've only got at Perth, Adelaide, and Gold Coast, right. and then we're done. Cool. Uh, so was so that like three weeks? All, all um, but more. All told, it's about <coughs> six weeks, um, including um, Asia. Yeah. So um, pretty, you know, a pretty full-on schedule. Like it's kind of what two on, two off vibe, or um, yeah. It can be. So occasionally get the, the the one. You know, it depends about distances, travel, and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, usually they'll do two, two on, one off, two on. You know, when we get to, we're going to be doing uh, Europe and UK. And uh, yeah, they're doing ten nights at the O2. Ten <laughs> nights yeah. in a row. Well, we do. Um, I think there's about six together with like 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 two, and then day off two. Day oh, off, right. you know, then, then we're doing a couple in Manchester. It's almost like you're. Couple it's in, almost like you're doing panto. I know, <laughs> I know. And uh, two in Manchester, two in Birmingham, and then we do the last four, I think, in, um, in the other two. I can't remember now. Uh, but uh, yeah, and that'll be. Uh, we'll be doing Europe de- European dates on either side of that. I mean, it just keeps going on. <coughs> I mean, if you'd asked me 
a couple of years ago, um, two or three years ago, I, I would have said, you know, I don't know how long it's going to go on because I just thought we'll do, they'll do this and then whatever. And it's mm. and, and it was already amazing, but then the film came out and it just went, poof, you yeah, know. right. And it's really nice to see um, so many young young, young people, you know, yeah. and excited to hear. Um, yeah, this music. It's, you know. it's, been, it's definitely been a positive thing that film. I think absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and it, that's one of the best feelings in the world, you know. Just, uh, just as we're, you know, when the show's about to start, and you can, you know, I've seen people like you know, young girls and boys going. Ah, you get you know, like really. you see like three generations almost. You know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's just great, you know. They, um, and that's, you know, there's one of those bands I think that. Um, it's you know it, it, bands do well when they've got like seven or eight bona fide hits you know what I mean and they can spread them out through the show or save them to but yeah. the, the problem that Queen have and Queen and Adam Lambert have is that um, too many hits too many hits yeah they they you know they, what do they leave out is their problem, <laughs> their problem you, you, you know? you're always going to disappoint somebody <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's like I, I went to see um, Prince when he did. 21 nights at the O2. Fantastic, yeah, all right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Salt and wound, right, okay. Same. Uh, and he, there was a point in the show where he sat down at the piano and he started to play like When Doves Cry and Little Red Corvette and stuff like that and he just kind of slammed the lid and went, ah, I get too many hits, y'all. Yeah, yeah, it's too many hits, y'all, yeah. Well, it's true, yeah. I mean, and I think that's the thing, isn't it, is that there are a handful of artists and bands where that is the, the case, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not to say that you know, I love lots of bands that are obscure and haven't had any hits, but um, I think Queen are one of those bands where the ubiquity of, of the you know the popularity throughout the world, you know, and, and yeah, uh, and they're yeah. not the songs. I, we'll get back to more Queen later on, I think. Yeah, but yeah. while we're on it, like the songs aren't cookie cutter. You know, like one song isn't. You can't really predict what's going to happen next, and from one song to the next. You know, like for example. ACDC, I love ACDC. Yeah, me too. But you kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. W whatever song you're in, but Queen is yeah. like everything is a completely different. Well, I always work. say if if, you, if if an alien came down to earth and they could perceive music the same way we do, if you played them Bohemian Rhapsody, another one bites the dust, and say I want to break free, there's no way in a million years that they think that's the same band. You know no. what I mean? Because the influences amongst the band members were such that. Yeah. You know, they, you know, and, and it's only it's only because we know that music, we know it's them, you know, and and, yeah. and, and the iconic imagery of whether it's the guys with the long hair or Freddie <coughs> with the moustache or whatever, you know, or dressing up like pantomime dames, or whatever. But more importantly, it's just the fact that they had a, a, a sort of handle on what was going on. I, I don't, I'm probably more by accident than design, you know, by, mm. by design, but they um, they never stayed still, you know what I mean? And they were always willing to try things, you know? And they were also given that freedom. Yeah, absolutely, you know? Yeah. And um, whereas, yeah, I think a lot of bands, unfortunately, fell by the wayside because maybe, you know, they, they were, especially in the days when charts were everything, weren't they, mm. you know? Uh, now people are used to people being, you know, highest download or YouTube streaming, or, yeah. whatever, YouTube. There's so many different avenues that people can access the music on. Exactly, you know, but in Britain, <clears throat> back in the day, as I say... Um, top of the Pops. At Top of the Pops, you know, that was it, you know. And, and actually, in some ways, I sort of missed that because um, you'd sort of discover... You, you, Joe, Joe Public would discover different kinds of music because I remember, you know, you'd sort of see, uh, you know, you'd see, like, 
Queen, and then you know the next chart place would be like Culture Club, and then the next one would be like <laughs> Neil Diamond, and then it'd be Iron Maiden, and then so within five or six chart places there could be five or six different genres of music yeah, you know yeah. what I mean that you would never in a million years choose to listen to if yeah. you went I've got I want to stream this you know you'd, you'd yeah have to yeah search. you just get everyone that sounds like David Bowie exactly in, in yeah, yeah. Well, yeah so in, in, in those <coughs> days um, I think it was quite good I mean I know like in, in America they've always had um, certain charts, charts yeah. for, for, for certain genres but for a while um, you see this is what cracks me up as well we always talk about you know the changing Industry. Attitudes of, of listeners and stuff, but I, I guess really that you know the, the the listening world. It's it's not that old anyway, is it? You know, it's the turn of the century or before the century. You know, the first uh, recordings, yeah. or whatever. Um, not or, not the twenty first. I meant I should have said the <laughs> end of the nineteenth century. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, and the way that they shifted albums, you know, because that came into its own, didn't it? Really, in, in sort of late sixties, um, in terms of um, how people listen to. Yeah. You know, you, um, you, you were forced to listen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To a side A, <laughs> which is which. Although I think you know, I do hear there's a lot of young people who have like vinyl parties, and I think a lot of yeah. them do get it. You know what I mean? So, but what's brilliant is, I guess, is that now people can. Uh, it, it used to be that you'd have to have a record deal and stuff, but you put anyone can put music out now. You yeah, know what I mean, which is good and bad because there's yeah, you get, there's a lot, a lot of noise you have to wade yeah, through absolutely. sometimes. Shift but through it definitely levels the playing field a lot more. Sift through, not shift through. Well, it depends. <laughs> yeah. um, no, no, absolutely you're right. <clears throat> um, uh, 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 but that's the thing, isn't it? And there's plenty of things on YouTube. I'm sure you and I have talked about it where you you go, oh, oh, this is amazing. Who's this guy? You know, like, um, I would never have, or at least it would have taken me longer. You know, pe people like Noah and Mm. Scary pockets and and certainly um, um, they they that blew up didn't it the, the Wolfpack um, and uh, Dirty Loops Dirty Loops yeah and, uh, who was that Wolfpack yeah Wolfpack you know what I mean all those guys yeah. and Theo Katz well, they, they because of the internet they, they had a career exactly you know? yeah so there's still a there's still a music industry it's just yeah. it just looks different and and for young musicians it's amazing I mean I remember <clears> you know if, if someone said have you heard that rare live bootleg of Weather Report in Japan, you'd be going, no, oh well, Keith's got it or something. Yeah, <laughs> you'd, be like, you'd be saying like, and you'd years. have to, yeah, and it would, you know, and then it would circulate and you'd go, oh look, here's that cassette, I've got a, well, I remember where, my bass teacher giving me like a, a tape of things to listen to, you know, and it was like Weather Report, Gary Willis, Marcus Miller, Victor Wooten, um, all Tribal the Tech, stuff. Yeah. Um, all the stuff, and I just walk into school and just listen to it and go, oh, yeah. what is, like what world am I in? Yeah, exactly, you know. You know. And that was and that was the only way of doing it, wasn't it? Really, you know? exactly. Yeah. Whereas now, I guess young musicians, they can say, "Oh, what, what was that guy talking about?" Yeah. You know? um, but you know what it's like. Sometimes you go, you're paralysed by choice. You, you still keep yeah. just listening to the same things over and over because you go, you could listen to any music in the world. You yeah, want. exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's an important thing. I mean, if you think about even your own listening habits, I, and I'm sure as you did, grew up listening to vinyl and listening to albums as a whole. Um, but what happens is, is that you you get used to the, the 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 track order, you know, the calligraphy on the album, you know, the gatefold sleeve, you yep. know. So you became <clears throat> uh, you bought into it, you know. You'd sort it's of a, it's a a piece of work. It's an entity yeah. as as a whole. Yeah, it was funny. Somebody was talking the other day about, oh, you know, I preferred side B of X album. Yeah, and it's just like that. Just that concept just doesn't exist anymore, you know, or, like, or it, what do you put first on side B to, yeah, exactly, to bring yeah. it back, you know? Or in Queen's case, with Queen <clears> 2, 
side white and side black. Right. Just putting that out there. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right. But but the, the 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 point is is that it, the track order and how 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 albums ran was also uh, they thought about that, didn't they? You know, how yeah. how is the album going to start? How is side one going to finish? How are we going to open side two? Mm. All these things that like, and I remember as well. Um, there was that I don't even remember the time when CD was really getting popular in the sort of early nineties, and people were chucking out seventy, sometimes eighty minutes of music, mm. and and it. Uh, and you like find 14, it, 15, 16 songs. Yeah, no, I love music, but you know, it's, it's, it's just too much to take on, isn't it? And so it's I almost think, like a two-hour, fifteen-minute show, you know. You exactly. Like, Who so does that? It. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's raining. You're like, it's oh, raining. You've got to listen. To, oh my god! You know. <laughs> Bass solos and <laughs> yeah, that's horrific, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's well, that's where everyone talks, isn't it? You know. So. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that um, that's one of the things that I, that uh, the rom- romanticised nostalgia yeah. of it you know when yeah. you think oh you know because in our m- memories you'll think of whether it's dark side of the moon or whether it's a kind of blue or whether it is you know the the track listings yeah. and, and everything that went with it whereas now it's kind of abstract isn't it because you even if it's, you think oh i'll check out what a great album that is but you don't have a clue about any yeah. of that you know um, no. and that's a shame you know but yeah uh, but on, on the other hand you know it doesn't make the music any less no, I won't. absolutely no. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's the and and having that direct access to artists through like Instagram or Twitter or, or YouTube, like uh, you know, imagine what it would be like to be able to see live updates from your favorite band of like backstage sound check or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. When you're, it'll be just be phew. it's amazing. So if, if you're a kid and you're into music, that's that's crazy exciting to be able to have to have that perception and stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I remember when <clears> you know someone you would massively into and you, you it, they really were um, out there in a different world you know but and if, and if you saw a paragraph in a like a music magazine <laughs> you know of them saying what their plans were that year you'd be yeah. going oh my that's such a body talking about you know and it was literally yeah. I don't know 40 words or something you know but you'd be like you'd hang oh, on to oh, it. Look, you know yeah. um, whereas now yeah you can find out what Colour their underwear is really like. Well, yeah. depends on what site you go to, I suppose. But. I mean, you're blue today, I think. Uh, red, I think, actually. Red. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why. I didn't I check always... your feed this morning. But... Yeah, that's good. Good. Thank you. Thanks for the notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you are a Mancunian. Yeah. From right in, or? Specifically from the <coughs> mythical, mythical town of Bolton, actually. Which is where wait, people wait. just wander. That's right, yeah. People, then what is that place, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, and then I, I did a huge move uh, a few <laughs> miles down the road to uh, Whitefield in Manchester. But I think that um, growing up, you know, it, it's funny, wherever you are, I, there was this, again, when I look back about, because I've got um, a brother and two sisters, we're all, we all play, and um, my mum and dad, you know, my dad used to play piano. He was a huge Oscar Peterson fan, he used oh, to love cool. jazz, and he was a, a big, um, you know, um, I remember t- what some of the memories with my dad was that he, in his car he'd have like um, uh, two albums. One was um, We Get Requests, mm. Oscar Peterson, and The Special Magic of Oscar Peterson. I think that was more of a collection, because I've never seen that since actually, but I remember, I'm sure that's what it was called. And then there was a couple, there was uh, the two George ben- mid-70s albums, um, Breezing and In Flight, is it? Uh, that he had on cassette, and I used to think, "Oh, this is cool," you know. Yeah, wow. But uh, but I but I got, funnily enough, I, I became 
hugely. Uh, the whole Queen thing is very weird for me because I, for being about nine or ten years old, one of my sisters had um, a day at the races and Live Killers. So this would have been in '79 because that's when Live Killers came out, and that's I was ten. And uh, is your sister a bit older? Uh, yeah, she's a couple of years older than me. So um, and I said, can I listen to those albums? And I completely got ensconced in these albums. And then that was it. I just I thought I, like, I really like this band, so I started getting and I just that was it I got for the next 18 months it was just or oh, maybe two years whatever it was all Queen and I was wow. I got all their albums I was <clears> obsessed <throat> with them and I knew all the tracks and stuff it's the same with Tyler who does percussion and vocals with us you know uh, he was the same you were, know you, what I mean? were you playing at this point no oh no, no. not absolutely not I didn't start playing bass till I was 14 nearly 15 okay. you know um, but I, but uh, and in fact my brother and my sisters were playing my brother plays guitar, and my sister, one plays piano. They both sing, and um, <clears throat> and I remember seeing them um, at a place called Masses in Bolton. It's like a nightclub. In fact, my my, my uh, I'm the youngest, but my sister Lois was she was still at school. She was too young to be there. You know, she was like yeah. 15, singing and stuff like that. But I remember looking at them and thinking, oh well, that's what they do. You know, what I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, but then something. Clicked, I went, oh, I think I want it. Funnily enough, it was it wasn't my family necessarily, even though they were a huge influence. There was a friend of mine who played guitar, huge ACDC fan. Um, Nick Schofield, have I, got, have I got his name right? If you're out there, Nick. Anyway, um, and uh, so we decided we'd do a band. And I thought, you know, my sister said, you should play bass. And I remember her showing me, um, by this point, obviously it was a few years later, she showed me um, Mark King on... Um, Top of the Pops, and it was, it was Sun Goes Down, and she loved Level 42. I mean, in fact, those, I mean, I love all the albums, but those first, up into um, sort of World Machine, you know, up to Standing in the Light and stuff. They're coming out here next month, I think. Are they coming out here? Yeah, oh, yeah. fantastic, yeah. Um, and um, they, uh, I thought, oh, that's a bit good, but I'd sort of already, uh, you know, I loved like Sting and Glenn Hughes from Deep Purple was a mm. big, big, not just his bass playing, but his voice and everything. And, uh, so yeah, it was one of the things. So you, so you were kind of like listening to stuff very much of the time, like you were kind of going like. Oh, Actually, no, you're right. I, I I did <coughs> at the time I was listening to that, but I did I was in, throughout the eighties. I realised I was a bit of a child of the seventies. My brother was mm. playing me a lot of stuff like um, Deep Purple and Rush, uh, and and um, he sort of laughed because I because he said, you know, you listen to other stuff besides Queen. And when I was young, I was going, oh no, I love Queen. <laughs> of course, he was right. I got into so it was more of the rock stuff I was listening to. But then um, I remember him playing me like Ricky Lee Jones and uh, Peter Gabriel and stuff mm. like that, and uh, and Genesis stuff like that. But arty yeah. pop, yes, that kind of stuff. And um, although I did like, um, I remember in the eighties. Because I, I wasn't, I was never enamoured with some of the sounds of the X's. Funnily enough, when I, when I look back now, I think, oh, it's, I like it now. But um, the the one band that I did love was and still do was Tears for Fears. Mm. Um, I just thought they were great. And um, but uh, for for most of it, especially in my school years, I was listening to stuff that was more seventies, you know. Right. Um, and but the great thing about bands like Level Forty Two is that you started hearing oh so who was he oh Stanley Clark he, he was a big Stanley and then you right. check out who that's returned to forever and then you think oh it's Marcus Miller so they were a really good stepping stone to what I got into which was like getting into Weather Report and more jazz stuff and then yeah. obviously later on I went to a little tertiary college in Lee uh, and. Uh, Amazingly, I got there when there were some amazing musicians and people who were teaching there were great. Um, people like Mike Walker, um, who's a 
top jazz guitar yeah. uh, dude who teaches all around the world as well and stuff. In, but uh, and uh, Steve Berry did some bass. There was a uh, Leslie Chisnell played piano there, and um, it was really good. And uh, but my introduction to jazz was a little bit sort of like oh, you know, because I'd, I'd got in there, but as soon as you're in there and you sort of meet people who are can actually way, play way above you, you're like, yeah. going, uh, uh, what do I need to do here? You know. And I remember um, <clears throat> I was given um, How High the Moon, and I, and my first foray into sort of playing around a jazz standard that wasn't like a blues or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, was I, I wrote out the, the bass line and so <laughs> after after AABA after that whatever the form was I just went back to the beginning you know yeah. what I mean so I wasn't improvising the bass line even but you got to start somewhere right? exactly you know what I mean so once you once you start doing that and then of course you know um, I did a little bit of uh, with Wigan Youth Jazz Orchestra uh, and I was I remember being because my playing was better than my reading then and 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 I, mm. I remember being in awe of um, the, the guy who used to do their, uh, who was their regular bass player, and he'd, he'd sort of realize going, oh, how's he doing that, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so it took me a while to sort of catch up, um, getting into that. And actually, funnily enough, I, I always felt that if I'd started a little bit younger, because um, when, when I've taught myself uh, uh, you know, at places, doing teaching, I've, I've often found that kids seem to just take it on board and go with it, do what you ask and come yeah. back. Adi- Whereas adults tend to question stuff. Exactly. Well, why, yeah. why are you doing that? And you feel like saying, well, I can't, you can't, Don't we can't get it. into that until you do this, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, if you've got a young kid, you go, this is C on the staff yeah, and yeah. this is C on the bass and they go, cool. Cool. And, and then, it makes but, sense to me. the adult goes, so what's G sharp or whatever? And you go like, yeah, yeah, don't worry yeah. about it. Why worry about it? And also because you you got in your mind, I think you know, yeah, yeah. But I can play. I can, hang on, I, I'm, I can play yeah. a teen town. That's how I got into this. Yeah. You know, it is it is tough to to go backwards. You know, to like yes, to be able yeah. to play and then kind of suck. And that's why I never played upright because I could play electric, and then picked up upright and just went. I can't even play a scale in tune. And right. Yeah. My hands really hurt. Yeah, I got on sort of half and first position, and I did a little bit, and I did some gigs. Um, Around uh, actually, when I started going to Salford, and that was another great experience. I mean, I met a lot of great. It's still some great friends as well. There. Uh, Ash Sohn was oh, there, who um, the drummer, stuff, uh, yeah, um, who's played with everyone. Yeah, fantastic. his his YouTube channel, uh, sorry, Instagram channel is just oh, it's amazing. Oh, isn't it's it? a joy. He's a great guy. Well, he's, he's have you ever been to the windmill studio? I have. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. I've been. I've uh, been seeing his family and stuff. It's fantastic. Um, but. Yeah, so people like Ash and uh, Andy Treacy is a good friend, another drummer who did Faithless for um, 15 or 20 years sort mm. of, with them and, and Groove Armada and stuff. Um, Adam Phillips, uh, loads of people. Mike um, Mike Gorman, uh, Mike Outram, who I've met before. Amazing musicians, you know, um, all, all around London and stuff now, you know. Um, so this is when you were at college? That was, yeah, after Lee, I went to Salford. This is actually where I met uh, Francis, actually. Where Francis went there. Thanks, Francis. Who plays um, in incognito, incognito yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah so so it was good and, and I think with those kind of places it's just being with like-minded people and people who are going to turn you on to music that you would never imagine you'd, you'd hear you know um, yeah. or um, just or sometimes just being on the same wavelength you know what I mean and, yeah. and, and it's one of the, one of the great things about going to study music is is just being in that environment of yeah. what do, the only thing we have to worry about concern ourselves with is music. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's, it's a rare place. You know, people go, should I go and study or should I just learn off YouTube or private lessons and stuff? Mm. Depending on what your personality is. Yeah, you, and where else are you going to be? Where <coughs> for, you know, twenty four hours a day, you can 
talk about and indulge in music yeah. and yeah and talk and play you know and stuff like that and and uh, I think that that was probably the, and what happened what, I didn't finish the Salford thing I, I I was playing with so many people I remember um, in fact one of the tutors did <laughs> did try to fight my corner but fair's fair I hadn't done the we used to have something called um, the recording studio and synth lab thing and I just hadn't got round to doing the work I was play, yep. playing with a lot of people and um, sort of epic fail there. So but you're like 20? Yeah, when did I go? I was, I was maybe 20... Uh, when, when would that have been? Sorry, Actually a bit older, about 23. 22, 23, 24, I don't know, maybe, yeah. 90? So by that point, I think I was 91 when I went to... So I would have been 22, yeah, yeah. when I went to um, Salford. And uh, so from 91 to 92. But that was the beginning of when I started... Um, I was playing with another great home players like Neil Yates, uh, Andy Ross, um, Martin Slattery, and all the. Is this jazz stuff? Uh, some jazz stuff, yeah, and uh, and then uh, this was my first foray into. I'd done a couple of things, but um, really looking at um, horn section stuff, mm. I'd started to, um, which was a great thing again about colleges that you start to. All right, you know, I will try this, and I was, so I was transcribing. I had we were talking about it briefly before, but I had a. I formed a band with Andy Treacy actually, um, and we called it Pocket Central, which was after uh, a Will Lee um, sort of bass column he used to have in bass right. player back in, you know, back in the day. And, um, <coughs> and, uh, and the only reason was is that we did our first gig at a place in Manchester called, it was then called PJ Bells. <laughs> and, uh, and after our first gig, people were saying, so, so, sorry, in order to have a, uh, the advertisement, I said, oh, we'll call it Pocket Central with the idea that I was going to replace the name because I thought it's a terrible name, you can't <laughs> keep that. And um, as soon as we did the first key, people said, when are Pocket Central playing again? And of course, by then it's, you know, you're yeah. like, uh, oh, uh, so the second gig, you do that. But the point being is that we did uh, Tower Power and Stevie Wonder and Steely Dan, but that's when I started to, initially the, um, Andy Ross and Martin Slattery and the guys were doing the arrangements, but then I started transcribing parts and writing the home parts out right. and that was a really good learning curve mm. um, and of course they'd tell me you know that that's right but really it should be in this octave so the practicalities of doing stuff you know uh, with uh, funnily enough I talking about the up, upright I did a, about two three maybe four sort of gigs um, and I played with um, a fantastic drummer called Steve Brown who works in and, and around London mm -hmm. he was um, Absolutely ensconced in the world of sort of fifties and sixties jazz, you know right. what I mean. Uh, but he was so encouraging, you know. He's going, yeah, that's great. And and sometimes my introduction to jazz early on, when I was about eighteen, was a bit like, you know, if you're not playing this music, you've no business doing music, you know. So it was a bit like, uh, you know. Yes. But as soon as someone was passionate about it for all the right reasons, it was. It, I thought, oh yeah, and I started to enjoy it, you know. Yeah. And um, but uh, yeah, so. For me, college was just suddenly opening this, this into this gateway of, of music that I would a never thought I'd hear and b that I'd ever play. You know, um, because it is hard to, of your own volition, get out there, isn't it, and say, yeah. you know, well, can we play some jazz? You know, and people go, yeah. who are you? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you when you're young and you get a chance to do that, it's it's really good. So, uh, and the particular skills that you'd need if you would and it's not necessarily that you need to be the, the best you know like a Hadrian Farode or a Yannick Gwisdahl or these are utterly incredible or Francis Hilton or uh, Francis Hilton I should say <laughs> yes yeah, um, <clears throat> you know in, in, improvising 
mm. musicians. Um, at least having the um, experience of playing stylistically the genre, you know, and what's expected yeah. um, of you. Then I think things like sessions become, you understand them more if people say, you know, I want this kind of thing, you know. Yeah, understanding musical context and references and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah. you find out that, for example, like, um, you know, if you're doing like a, a sort of a, a ballad or a jazz ballad, right, I would find that it, it, playing the electric bass, the notes would hang sometimes a bit too long or it would just poke out from what the ensemble was. So you'd, actually, if I do the old palm mute thing, it gives you that 50s, where, where the tone sort of, yeah, sorry, maybe over, over the, the note dies the, off. Yeah, yeah, all over, over the, the board. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so all these things, I guess, you know, you, you can't really be... All these things that nobody notices apart from the bass player. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that no one's actually bothered about. You yeah, know? Yeah. Did you hear what I was doing there? No. Um, but... Um, <clears throat> And so this is the, the good thing about it. And obviously you've seen other bass players, you know, there were a lot of other fantastic players there. And uh, um, Did you ever encounter Lawrence Cottle? Because he was a northerner. Yeah, he's actually from Wales. Ah. Yeah. Apologies. No, no, you know, he's, I think he's, uh, I've met his brother. I've, I've only seen him. I don't think I've ever met him. Uh, I don't know, I'd probably go. But did you ever, like, okay. at, at that time, was he a name in the... He he, I knew of him because a, a, tr a trumpet player friend of mine, Nigel. Oh gosh, I can't remember his name. That's really embarrassing. Um, he um, said, "Have you heard of Lawrence Cottle?" Um, I think he, he, even back then he'd been doing some big band the stuff, but he had his own band yeah, doing yeah. stuff. And I just heard that and went, "That's ridiculous." You know, it, it really is. Uh, and he's a fantastic piano player as well. He had lessons from Jacko. Is that right? Is that, yeah, or a lesson, so. or he yeah. like, met him as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. Um, yeah, I like I like um, watching anything. All these guys who are fantastic, I love watching. Um, what the thing that I found pretty soon though for me was that my interests, as much as I love all the muso stuff, was I, I really enjoyed songs and writing songs and uh, that sort of. Um, did you move to London? Is this a year London? No, I no, never you? did. I almost did. Um, <clears throat> But I don't think I was ever serious about it. A lot of my friends, you know, they decided they were going to go or whatever, and I was whatever. And plus, I'd um, was, was, would London have been like the all right? I'm going to do jazz. You moved to London vibe, or it may have done it. I honestly don't know how that would have yeah. uh, panned out. I, I do know that like I'd got my um, I'd just started this the the, the pocket central thing, yeah. and I was really excited about it, and I was. And I'd actually started writing. So it was that like three-piece horns, sing, singer. It was actually five and sometimes six-piece horns, oh, uh, rhythm section, um, lead singer, and uh, you know. But we had like percussion as well as drums. It was it was full on. Uh, it was absolutely no money whatsoever made in it. Uh, <laughs> but um, but it was an exciting time because mm. audiences were genuinely. You know, of course, this is before YouTube or whatever all that stuff. But they, it was. I think for a lot of people hearing that, that at the time, I remember in the, in the early 80s, I, uh, sorry, late 80s, when I first heard Tower of Power, mm. um, a drummer friend of mine from Lee College, one of the choosers, he gave me basically a, a cassette of Live and In Living Colour. Mm. Well, that was it. I thought, this music speaks to me. What is going on? Because you've got your own Tower, Tower of yeah. Band, haven't you? Pickpocket. No, no, it's your fusion uh, one. Um, off the Leash. Off the Leash. See yeah. what he's done there? See? Um, and uh, everything about it I absolutely love. Because the thing about Tower of Power is, is obviously you can, there's all the great playing and, and stuff, and uh, but they're great songs, you know what I mean? Songs. And at the heart yeah. of it, it's, <clears throat> it's a soul band, you know, that plays yeah. in their particular way, you know. And um, 
but uh, so doing that was great and and I, and I think I'd I think I'd given so much of myself I just thought if I go to London you know what what's what I'm going to do I'd, I was still split now on, on whether yeah. to do to go to what carry on sort of writing and doing stuff mm. um, or just because sometimes I find that you can be the a session guy and you can be all things to all men but I felt like I was starting to lose myself a little bit you know yeah. and yeah because it's just a kind of circular thing as opposed I mean if you've got the band at least you've got kind of maybe like a direction or something you can kind of yeah exactly you know and, and there's always payoffs I mean yeah. you, you know you could be in a band and spend 10 or 15 years in the back of a van touring the country and it mm. may you know you might be you 2 or yeah. you know Queen or whatever, and and you, and you have huge whatever. It doesn't yeah. really happen anymore. But that, if you don't but, try, you'll never know. But if you don't try, you'll never know. But the 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 cost of that is that if you don't have like we talk about skill sets, mm. if you don't have the ability to look at charts, if you don't stand functional harmony, if you mm. don't chord voicings and and how and what it sounds like, then you're going to struggle. If suddenly that stops and you think, oh, okay, I'll go into session work. Well, that's hard, isn't it? So I was always I always had one foot in both camps. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and I enjoyed b both, you know, um, but I realised in my mid-twenties, you know, sometimes I think music, I think a lot of musicians go through this, where you start thinking, oh, what am I doing, you know, am I right, have I got, I should be doing more of this and what have you. Some of your friends learn some big gigs and they're all... Yeah, you know, you know what I mean, and, and <clears throat> um, oh, yeah. but then I realised actually I'm just going to enjoy whatever, whether that's... Miles Davis or Iron Maiden, I'm not going to feel ashamed from, for, and as soon as I, I enjoyed music for what it was and loved all of it, mm -hmm. uh, it sort of freed me up, you know what I mean? Mm. And, I, and, I, and I felt, you know, and, and in, in a lot of ways, I, I, I went, I started to play a lot simpler, you know, um, just because I was more interested in the song, you know, and mm. song is king and what does it need, you know what I mean? Mm. But even though I was still, I still loved all that, that, that you know, more the, some of the technical aspects of it and maybe yep. jazzier stuff. But, um, but, then, but then I realised I loved, um, you know, one of my favourite bass players is Willie Weeks, you know what I mean? Mm. Of course, we know the Donny Hathaway mm. song, but those guys, you know, um, same with Jameson and Chuck Rainey, that particular kind of bass playing where... Um, yeah, where it's serving the song, but it's also, like, uh, a part in itself that you can just yeah. enjoy. Yeah. yeah, and that, I think, is, is, you know... I mean, it's all good. I mean, I, and, you know, I love the Linnets bass playing. I love, you know, whether it's rock stuff or, um, you know funk stuff or you know whatever and uh, and I think that's the thing is, is I, I mean like we talked about Oscar Peterson you know but you know Ray Brown and um, uh, I know Niels Henning's all step pedals and play with them later but people like uh, Leroy Vinegar and Paul Chambers and stuff they were they, they had a big influence on me in the sense that when I thought of jazz or playing that kind of thing I was trying to yep. bring that to the, to the <coughs> fore but and I think just having a wide range of musical influences. I mean, again, you know, to bring it back to Queen, but if you look at an album like Night at the Opera, you know, they had like vaudeville, they had bits of sort of trad jazz, you know, from the album before and stuff like that. And, and all those influences would play out, you know what I mean? Mm. I just don't know if you, you'd do that anymore, but even then I suppose it was crazy. But mm. um, it's always going to help, especially in, I guess, if you're writing and stuff, you know. Yeah. Did you ever go through um, a Jekyll? Face. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and keep going back to me. You know, the thing about Jacko is, is that um, it was not only the sort of mind-blowing, game-changing bass playing, but his music was beautiful. His writing was. His writing, you know what I mean? It's the like, word of mouth, big band stuff was. Just... Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just 
sort of ethereal, otherworldly sometimes, yeah. isn't it? You know, the stuff that he was able to do. Harmonies that you would go like... Yeah. Like, you wouldn't put that with that. No, I know, exactly. You know. And even when you saw him playing piano, you could hear it, couldn't you? You, yeah. know, you could hear it, how he was hearing stuff, you know, and... Uh, and uh, and in a way, that it was like that natural extension that maybe Joe Zawinul was looking for as well. When you're hearing with Weather Report, you just go, you know, and I'm sure it was the same for him, you know, mm. symbiotic. It was like, oh, these guys can realise what it is I'm trying to do, you know. Um, so, yeah, and, and he's also one of those guys that you keep going back to and you start hearing other things, don't you? You know what I mean? You know, yeah. Um, yeah, there's always something that, you have, you, that you've missed or, yeah. or or you've changed, you've grown and matured and then you yeah. hear it and go, you, you just a different perspective yeah. on it. And it, it means I mean, like the Havona, uh, mm. well, not only just the bass line, which is absolutely great, but the, the solo, you know, it's just beautiful, isn't it? You know what I mean? And, and when you... When someone's that lyrical, I mean, I don't know if he was maybe he'd, perhaps he'd worked that out. I don't know, but or maybe it's improvised. Or but either way, it's fantastic. You know, yeah. it's and, um, and and as a record, those those albums are always fantastic. Yeah, but yeah. I remember again, same thing. I, I, and in fact, I remember I think Pat Metheny might have said this. You know, but I remember thinking if I if I try. The person I'd sort of done that the most with in terms of emulate them was um, when I was about 16, I used to sort of put the needle back and transcribe all Mark King's stuff, you know. Um, I was like that about level 42 and stuff. Uh, and then, of course, I, people were saying, have you heard this guy? And I was going, who's this dude? You know what I mean? And, and yeah. so on and so forth. And you realise that you just end up chasing someone else's um, style or bass playing technique or whatever. In, for years, only to sound like them, you know what I mean? Um, which is unavoidable sometimes, yep. and, and of course that's what everyone does, <clears throat> all the great, greats do that, is they borrow from stuff, you know what I mean? So uh, I realised that, I, I thought, I'm never going to be, who's going to be a, you know, a jacko unless you give 100% to be in that? But even then, people are just going to say, oh, he's just like jacko. And you, so, need, you, need to, you need to be new. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. you're never going to, you know, you're never going to uh, be... And it was Pat Metheny said, you know, I see all these guys who do this, but they're never going to be Jacko, you know what I mean? But, you know, I understand why people do, because it's irresistible, isn't it? You yeah. know what I mean? It's like catnip when you hear, <laughs> when you hear, like, it's the cats, you know what I mean? When you hear yeah. that sound, you yeah. know, whether it's with Johnny Mitchell or, you yeah. know, the Mike Stern stuff he did, you know, all, all, all these little things that you saw him, saw him do, you know, it's, it's tragic, isn't it? It's very sad. But um, what he brought to music was... Fantastic. Absolutely. So, in this kind of like early nineties stuff, what what kind of um, idea of like rack gear and stuff and cubicy headless bases? Uh, you know, no, I didn't. Uh, I, I used to borrow like? a lot of gear before. I, but I, I bought my first. Um, I bought a heart key. Um, well, I'd had a couple of amps that I'd, I'd sort of been given or whatever, you know. But my first one that I right, right I'm going to do this properly was a. I think it was the transporter cabs. Right, heart key. It was four by ten. And I got the, th I think it was the 350. Oh no, I got a Trace Elliott head. Yeah, that's right. Classic me. I just, I, I sort of mixed and matched. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I like Trace Elliott, and this looked good. Yeah. Um, and I had that for years. I've still got them somewhere. Um, and then I moved on to um, getting a proper. I think it was a 350 head heart key. Do they do? Yeah. Are you good with gear? You probably know all this, don't you? H H A 300 or 350. Well, yeah. it's got numbers and letters. That's good enough for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What I use now, though, is I've got, I, I use the, um, still use HeartKey. Um, I, I'm used to HeartKey, and I've used them since, like I say, the early 90s. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I realise that all gear is probably great, isn't it? You know? But um, 
the uh, what I use with Queen is um, I've got I've got six um, fifteen-inch speakers, six four by ten. But of course, I'm only. It used to be I'd have four on, but I'm actually only got. Um, I've got the fifteen and the four by ten in the middle on. Um, so it's just one stack. So it's just one stack. Oh. All dummies on top. That doesn't do anything. But in, in the rack, off with uh, Jez, my bass tech. Mm -hmm. He he's got. I've got four LH one thousand heads, two running and two spare. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I've had to sort of change up. A sound that I would have if I was doing something more funk groove orientated. Mm. Well, this this I've got a, a bit more um, of everything going on. Um, Any pedals effects? Yeah. I have got some. I, I don't really use <coughs> much um, I can't really on this particular. Of, yeah, I can't really think gig of much. At the moment, I did use the octave divider um, occasionally on a couple of things, and I did. And I used the when we do Days of Our Lives, I used the chorus mm. um we've not done that for a while and what else have i used oh sorry no i do use there's a there's a little run um in uh, rhapsody in the after the heavy bit i do the middle run um so i have to sort of go take them off um what was that you're standing on there that was me just doing my pedal that's like, that's like the that's octave there. pedal it's like a distortion with uh, an octave above i don't know what it is honestly you probably need to speak to jez um i'm useless when it comes to gear um, make me sound good <laughs> yeah what does this do make it whatever um yeah it doesn't always work but i i, I sort of try and um I, do you know what the, the, i love things like um i think octave divider if i wasn't doing this gig i use the octave divider like i've got the um, I've actually got a on this tour. I think it was an MXR octave mm -hmm. divider, but I've got the Boss the classic do. one, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've got a MXR Cormus, which I sometimes use if I was doing, let's say, if I was doing like a three-piece thing, a bit like I, uh, a bit like the Roscoe Beck thing, I would do, uh, you know, seventh and third sort of chordal stuff and a bass part there. And that that's nice for, for sort of three parts when the guitarist goes or or the octave divided like if you're doing a riff and then he breaks off and then you can have the still keep still it. Keep yeah, it's it good there. for trio stuff. For yeah, sure. exactly. And that, space. That's what I found. Yeah. I, I enjoy. <clears throat> I, I like. I like to do. Um, I mean, I guess essentially Queen is like a trio. It is really bass, yeah. drums, guitar, yeah, and vocals. You know, yeah. Obviously, there's, there's there are the important yeah. piano tracks. You it doesn't I mean? come, It doesn't. You, you never hear it and think, oh, it just sounds like four instruments. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we do gigs, Brian and Roger, it's like a thunderous pairing. You know what uh, I mean? It's like, um, uh, and it's a magnificent sound. I mean, it, it's just volume. You know what I mean, and, and what I love about <laughs> the guys, about the the old school, because you, you know, we we're talking about some bands that have, that have track running and stuff yeah. like that. Is that they don't do any of that. Right. Obviously, they've got bits where. Um, after the solo in Rhapsody, which they always did, we'd yeah. stop and then they'd bring up the yeah. the operatic yeah. middle section. Fair enough. Or there's like an intro or interlude. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but it's obvious. Though, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, and that was their thing. Trying to they hate the tracks. idea of um, you know having vocals on track, having this, that, the other. Yeah. You know. um, yeah. Spike, well, the keyboard, will will have um, who's Spike's been with them since '85 actually. Really. Uh, doing the live stuff with them. Um, He'll have like say the, you know, like a samples which oh, he'll right. play with Roger. Okay. So he's actually playing it in. And there's been a couple of things like maybe the we will, we will, 
you know, it has a, a sample, sample thing which sounds great, but that we're already singing it, it just peps it up. But in terms of the, the harmonies, there's six of us, you know, now, mm. and so, so you've got a three part that is doubled, you know, mm. maybe sometimes a four part. So it sounds unreal, it sounds really... Yeah, oh great, well, yeah. no, thank you, yeah, but they, and we all, and what I love about them as well is that we always sound check. Mm. They don't do that whole thing. Even when oh, you're just two nights in the same, yeah. same venue. Yeah, sound turn check, up, yeah. sound check. Um, That's cool. I think they've had too what's, what's sound check like? Um, it's basically Roger will go up and he'll um, check. He's got the main stage kit and the B stage yeah. kit. So he'll go down to the B stage, start with that. Uh, just check stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as, as much for the guys out front as well, because sometimes different venues will, even though these things... Uh, it seems to be this homogenous thing of either arenas or mm. stadiums, but they do have some of them have different, um, uh, you know, come back from the back wall, whatever. What's the word I'm looking for? Reflections. That'll do. Reflections. Yeah. Um, and um, it's name your soul album. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and basically, um, then you'll go to the, the the main kit. He'll do a bit there. We're all checking. We've got stuff in our ears, but it's a digital desk, so you can it have scenes. You can have scenes yeah, yeah. and stuff. I t tend to try and avoid that. I like just to try and keep everything throughout the whole gig. Uh, same thing. I might have a couple of tracks where something's boosted, yeah. um, but I find if I mess with from track to track too many times, then there's always something. Do you, have, I, do you have guitar in your ears? I do have guitar in my ears, but uh, <clears> occasionally I'll have a little bit. I mean, you're not supposed to do this, I know, but I might take it out a little bit sometimes just to get a. And do you have like um, stage and crowd mics to get the ambience going? Ambience on? stuff, yeah, there are there are uh, mics that are there that you can hear that. I think um, once Roger's done his thing and Brian does his, we'll, we'll have a. We'll probably do. Um, there's always a couple of tracks that will let's try this, you know, and mm. or and we'll try and do a different. Thing. So we'll do something that's pretty heavy, and then we'll do something that's more like. Uh, I mean, it's all live with these guys. It's all bigger and bolder than it mm. is on record. But but um, then we might do another one about the dust, you know, mm. or, or um, we might do a soft one. Um, and it all, you know, Adams in ears, but we've also got the monitors everywhere. And it's and it's you know, it's uh, he does amazing. He's fantastic, isn't he? But he. Mm. Um, there might be things that you might want to check yeah. uh, from track to track, yeah. and then we might then we may run whatever the opening song is just as like the last thing, so, so that it's everyone all set knows up and it's all good there. To go, yeah. But it's but we could theoretically we could walk on yeah. without a sound check, but there's something about doing a sound check when you walk on, you can feel a bit discombobulated mm. when you when when you've not you think oh this is the first time we're playing in front of these you know yeah. is everything going to be okay yeah it's just that extra piece of mind so exactly you know and we have done stuff where um, sometimes people haven't made sound check and, and things have and you think oh you know yeah. never do that again, that again. Um, so because um, I'm just conscious of time for you but oh, yes, definitely yeah. some stuff I want to get to okay um, how did you end up being the bass player for one of the biggest rock bands yeah well of all time. I, as always look so from pocket central did they come and see you play and <laughs> that's right call, yeah or? they came to pj bells back in there <laughs> and, and um said hey let's check out a tower of power covers band um yeah no the, the, did, you, did you have some big breaks before that like some touring stuff some session stuff i mean how i'd done uh, the odd little thing um nothing as big uh, as uh, you know, back in in those days, I think mm. most of the music business was was down in London. So mm. even if you were from Manchester, you'd often go down to doing that. Um, but what I did start doing back then was working with a, a gentleman named Elio Pace, who I've known for twenty five 
odd years now, um, and we've done a lot of stuff over the years uh, together. I've played on albums of his and stuff like that. He's a piano player, singer, songwriter. Um, yep. And he was asked to do, this is back in 2010, he was asked to be the MD and have his, and, and he, it was his band ostensibly, um, which had three horns, rhythm section, three backing mm -hmm. vocalists, uh, the girls were there. And um, for Terry Wogan's, the late Terry Wogan's, um, I guess you could call it his swan song radio programme. He'd sort of retired but came back with um, something called Weekend Wogan. Um, radio 2 audience, you know, we'd, we'd go in on the Saturday and there'd be different artists who'd come in every week. And the Saturday we'd re rehearse, so we'd run... So kind of like an audio Jules Holland. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there was the old BBC red <clears throat> button, so some <clears throat> of the stuff is out there on YouTube um, uh, and that, that's been put up. Um, uh, so we'd... It would be that kind of audience, you know, we, there were people like... They were great. We had like um, Rick Astley and uh, Tony Hadley and we mm -hmm. had Lulu and stuff. But we had we had um, uh, Glenn Campbell came, mm. um, which was uh, uh, it wasn't known then, but it was sadly it was at the beginning of his uh, diagnosis with Alzheimer's mm. um, thing. But just playing with him was fantastic, and I was like, oh, this legend. Mm. And of course, in fact, you can see it on um, YouTube. Um, <laughs> As he's singing, he goes, turn the bass down. <laughs> he met in the monitors, but of course, I was like that, oh no. And um, yeah, so uh, consequently, um, oh, and we had, um, what's his name? Oh, I forgot his name. He's written for so many people. Um, but we had some great people on. Tom um, Jones. And we would, we would, and what, sorry? Tom Jones, did he ever come on? No, he didn't actually, no. Uh, but we had, and we had, we had some young artists of the day. Um, but we'd have like a chart, so so um, usually we'd get a chance to see it. Um, but there, but we'd have like a we'd have three hours where we'd rehearse on the Saturday with whoever's coming in, and Elio would do a couple of mm -hmm. of his own things and arrangements, whether that was his songs or covers. And then on the Sunday, that would be the broadcast, and it went out eleven till one. Anyway, one week, as I was talking to someone after the show, we were outside, and Alan Boyd, who was the then producer, um, and his lovely Scottish brogue. Mm -hmm. Said, and next week we've got Brian May coming on. And, and next I, week we've got Brian May coming yeah, on. Yeah, he was talking. I was t I was talking to someone, and I was talking to someone else, and I saw, I went, "Excuse me, <laughs> did you just say Brian May?" <laughs> because <clears throat> that whole visceral thing from being a child, yeah. you know, was sweaty pants coming already. on. I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe it. just to, to to be in the same room as him. You know what I mean? I mean, I'd seen them seen him live, but and um, and he came. He was working with uh, fantastic West End vocalist um, Kerry Ellis that he was working with and they came on I don't think originally he was going to he was going to do some acoustic stuff with her but I don't think he had any intention of playing but Elio said oh I think he'd had a he jokingly said you know my bass player will, won't forgive ever forgive me if you don't get to play and I didn't know this he told me afterwards and and, and Brian said oh shall I bring my you know because classic Brian he's lovely he was going mm -hmm. shall I bring my guitar you sure you know yeah um, and um, so we did um I think we did Save Me, we did a couple of songs that they'd been mm. working on with her album. And then we started to, um, we just happened to do uh, Give Me Some Loving that, uh, that Elio's going to do. But of course, I don't even remember the Wembley concert, but um, they used to do that. Um, really? And so he, we'd started up and he'd, ju he'd just finished and he was like, oh, you know, 
like, can I play? No, no. Yeah, yeah. No. Get off, bro. <laughs> so, um, so he started playing. It was fantastic. And uh, you're like, e. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and yeah, so so we did that, and then uh, after we did the show, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think he'd asked if they were doing something called Brom Proms in the Park mm -hmm. about a month later, and um, we um, we were asked to do uh, a few of us were asked to do that, and basically, to cut a long story short. Uh, the the following year, I ended up doing the anthems tour that he was doing with Kerry. Not expecting any of this, to, so every little thing that came in was just even better. So it was the part of the musical, the the Broadway thing. Yeah, it was partly. It was they'd been it, they'd done an album called Anthems, um, and there was some some musical stuff, a couple of original things, um, and and I think I don't know I don't know. Obviously, you'd have to ask. I don't know what the plans were but I know that um, he was asking our availability mm. for um, the f uh, the following year I think it was April or May or something um, and we did a tour which I never expected to happen um, so that was amazing I thought I'd died and gone to heaven you so know what I mean? Roger Taylor no no, no 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 Roger uh, it was just Brian uh, Roger's son Rufus played drums uh, who now plays for the darkness because he did the Queen and Adam Lambert gig for a few years. Right. I mean, now now he plays for the darkness and it's just he's just so suited for it. It's fantastic, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and some other, and a couple of the guys, some a couple of the girls. Um, you know, you, there was a few of us, but as, uh, basically, we ended up um, doing that, and we did some things during the summer, and then I did meet Roger. We did um, like a charity, mm -hmm. I think, at the Savoy Hotel in London for um, Terence Higgins Trust, which is the AIDS mm -hmm. uh, Benefit Foundation. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was weird, you know, because obviously these guys know each other, but I, I ended up, um, Mike Rutherford was supposed to play with Jeff Beck. I just picked those two names up, yeah. And um, I thought, I don't think Mike could make one of the first days, so I ended up playing Little Wing with Jeff Beck and Roger what? Taylor, all this stuff. It was incredible, yeah. <laughs> and and he did, did this thing. And he and I mean, talk about, oh, I mean, right. he was jaw-droppingly ridiculous, you know what I mean, as well. And so he had Brian on one hand and Jeff Beck on the other. And Roger Taylor there, I was going, is this actually happening? What's going on? So, um, and anyone who knew me knew that I was, in a, as in a, a kid, place. a complete <laughs> queen nerd, you know. Yeah. Um, so then after that, the, basically, to answer your question, November... 2011, um, I was asked about my availability, and I still thought it was for Brian. Yeah. And and I found out no, it's they're doing this thing for the, the EMAs. It was um, I think they were getting a Global Icon Award. It was for yeah. MTV, and it was in <clears throat> Belfast. And I just thought this is ridiculous. And I think it was uh, Rogers Tech Nigel was saying to me, no, it's you know it's it's this you know. And I was going, you are joking. Because they hadn't really performed as Queen since. They'd done, um, I think, from 2004 or five through to 2008, they, they did Queen with Paul Rogers. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, with Jamie Moses on guitar and Danny Miranda on bass and stuff. Um, and they did that for three, three, three years or so. Um, yeah. I think they did an album. They did an album as well. I'm, I'm saying think as if I don't know anything, everything about them. Sure. Called Cosmos Rocks. Uh, but they, um, so they did that. And I saw them, uh, saw that as well. But they... Yes, you're right. From then, they hadn't done anything. Um, 
and I don't think they thought they were going to do anything. Mm. But, but then um, Adam Lambert happened. Adam Lambert happened. And um, <coughs> I think that this was just a one-off. You know, it was like a little medley, and eight minutes it was. And as far as I was concerned, that was it. But that was enough for me to go, I can't, can't believe it, you know. Mm. Um, until the following year, we did a handful of dates, 2012. Um, in classic Queen fashion as I've learned since doing it for a few years now the first gig we did was in front of what turned out to be about 300 to 350,000 people <laughs> in Kiev because it was the ah yeah I heard about this yeah it was yeah. the uh, uh, European Euro whatever it was yeah. and um, it was like a, a municipal you know it's like a free gig mm. um, so consequently everyone and his dog was there but after the first 40,000 people, it didn't sort of make any sense. I was like, I can't make it. But then there was a photograph. I think I got it on my fridge someone took of an aerial shot, and it's just mind-blowing, you know. But this was their first proper two-plus, you know, two-hour gig or whatever it was then. And, uh, Do you have, like, months of rehearsal or...? Not that long, no. I think we did maybe a week. Wow. And there was minimal production then, I mean, compared to what they've got now, you know. Hmm. But it's got to the point now where, uh, you know, they know most of what's going on. So so we don't do, you know, I don't think they like to overdo things. I'm laughing because they, they have this uh, affectionate term of something like uh, escaping perfection or whatever, you know, like, like, you know, we don't want to get, you know, laughing about it, you know, and it's very funny. But they, um, I think they like to keep it fresh. They don't want to, Well, know, they've been playing the songs for... Yeah, exactly, you know what I mean? And, and it, I mean, I, honestly, I... I I'm, I'm I'm still blown away it's by amazing. how uh, you know the still doing it and want to do it um, because yeah. I always thought up until two or three years ago, like I said, I, I thought you know oh maybe they'll do this and maybe this will be the last sort of yeah. thing they're doing. But they just they just keep going. And so now I just think well, until they've had enough or maybe health or or you know whatever. I mean, you know Roger's still playing. You know, for two yeah. hours doing stuff and Brian, you know, and they're running up and down and doing all this. It's amazing, you know. Um, and uh, but it is. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, it's luck. You know, I mean, I was, I was at a place where Brian came in and uh, and thanks to Kerry, who was sort of joking, so and you know, he's he's a bit good. We should steal him, shouldn't we? Like <laughs> laughing, you know. Um, uh, but I think that that's what happens, and I'm sure a lot of musicians have said that they happen to be somewhere. Yeah. And, but you, we, but you, you know, it's like hard work and, and luck combined. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you you've got to keep, to you've got to keep the gig, haven't you? You know what I mean? That's it, yeah. <laughs> Watch <clears> the <throat> space. Where's Neil? So, um, John Deacon has just been out the picture since. Yeah, I think John has, um, f from by all accounts, has. Uh, I think he's just eschewed the limelight. I don't think he really wanted to to do it anymore. Uh, so, but I think 1997 was the last thing he did with them right. uh, in in any. Uh, as queen, yeah. Um, Fair enough. and I, and yeah, so I, he's a very private man. And yeah, I think, you know, stuff like that. What was it like digging into the to those bass lines and really having to to get them down? Like, did it did it ruin some of the magic, or were you just was it like wow? Or did you know them already? I mean, like learning uh, learning his parts because they're so. Um, it's like we were saying before about like kind of Billy Weeks, James Jamerson thing. Like yeah. they really are a, a you know a, a memorable part. In yeah. itself, with so many songs, exactly. It's like you can't really, you can't really wing it. Like you have to play that 
up the octave little thing and stuff like that because it's all part of the, the absolutely line. and there's and there's little things that even you know that even if people out there are listening even if they're not musicians if they don't hear i know it was a, an overdub thing but if they don't hear the fastidious and precise the little uh, like in best best friend or something like that yeah and then in best friend, you know if they don't hear these things they'll go oh how come that's different you know now i know that john live you know he wasn't necessarily um religiously sticking to what his parts were uh, but on record, the way I th thought about it was that I, I've got to do as much as I can about the record. So I try and do about 80% of what John Deacon did and the rest I sort of might do a little bit of what I do. Um, and there are times as well where you can you get used to doing something and then I'll go, oh, do you know what, I'm going to check that out again. And, and something might have morphed over yeah, the yeah. years, you know, and I thought, oh no, he actually does that. But then Brian and Roger have always said, you know, don't get too attached to, you know, you don't have to do, you know, because we've always changed things up a little bit, yeah. you, know, you know, do, do what suits you know and sometimes we'll have discussions about stuff you know that section there do you want to try this yeah because do, do you kind of reference live versions and stuff yeah occasionally yeah yeah do yeah did, did he changed it up live as well he did yeah he did oh yeah there are definitely things that john would do that is not on the record yeah uh, and then stuff that he would do that is on the record and stuff mm. and, and from uh gig to gig they do that but i try to put the records as being the the standard because mm. um that's what most people know you know exactly um, yeah and uh you know that I think the thing as well is, is that what I loved about him was that he he sort of had these little things that he did without stepping on any, any, on any toes. You so know was just I mean? always in that right little there's a bit yeah. of space, little space that was there, and <clears throat> uh, and I think because of his love of, of soul music as well and stuff that he he wasn't just an out and out rocker where mm. he was you know what I mean uh, that was. And, and I guess in those days as well, just because people were doing rock, they, you know, John Bonham was a big Motown fan, wasn't he? You know what I mean? He loved. Well, that, I mean, that's the groove, guys. right? It's, it's, it's exactly. It's you know what I mean? And, and, and it's only later generations that were directly influenced by what you'd call rock, heavy yeah. rock players. You know what I mean? And, and, and stuff. But then I suppose their influences would have gone back only twenty years. Yeah, you know what I mean? From the beginning of rock and roll, or whatever. You know, yeah. and less. You know, less than that. You know. Um, so. And the jazz stuff as well, but the um, what what I found about the the whole thing with um, the John Deacon thing is that um, it was so it's so eclectic there musically. You know what what they're after that um, it, it it you never get stifled or bored by oh I've got to do you know what I mean that there's certain things that you play and you think oh that works I'm going to do that because because if I do that it's not supporting that you know what i mean mm. but then there's other things i might change up stuff like like in the middle of a one it all with the the fast guitar bit uh, i think john plays kind of eighth notes on that but i'd sort of cheekily do a little 16th thing just because it um it just really drives it so i'm going ding digga 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 ding you know because your tower power needs the tower power thing but i think yeah. it sort of drives it and that's a decision i thought i'll do i'm doing rather than going ding 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 mm. um and that's not because it you know you know what I mean? It's just it's just that little bit that I can afford to put a little bit in it. Just yeah. to me, the, it seems to work, and and they're they're they're, they're fine, fine with it. it. Yeah. No one no one said you know what you're doing there and stuff. Um, and then there's little things like um, pressure. I always play with the pick because mm. I played it with the pick, and uh, <clears throat> and there's a couple of other things. I Which mean, is John, interesting because it's like if that baseline was presented to me, it wouldn't. Wouldn't be if my first choice to go. Oh, this should be with a pick. Yeah, yeah. Dum, 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 like it, to me, it was like, oh, that should really be fingers. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think any time I've seen him live playing it, he's with a pick. Mm. When you listen to it, it sounds to me. I could be wrong. I was talking to Tyler about this. I can't. I'm not sure whether he's playing it on flats, but with a pick. 
I might be wrong on that. I'm sure it's just maybe he's got something rolled off. Maybe permuted. Could be, yeah. And I think that's what it is. Um, and I think there are subtle differences, aren't there? It's like when you play, say, um, you know, Dancing in the Moonlight, um, Thin Lizzy, you know. Oh, I'm into top order. Yeah, if you, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, or Dharma, <clears throat> didn't she have a hit with that originally in the 70s? Yeah, that's so, yes, that. But um, having that kind of ding a big ding you can play it with your fingers, but mm. it doesn't have that, there's little yeah. subtle things that, you know, that a Thin Lizzy fan would go, oh, yeah. hang on, you know what I mean? So I, that's what I mean, I try and get it. So, so there, were, there were tracks like Stone Cold Crazy, he played with the pick, and mm. um, I Want to Break Free, you know. Um, Tie Your Mother Down? Tie Your Mother Down? No, I don't, actually. <clears throat> what I did notice with John is, is that sometimes in the 80s, stuff that he used to play with the fingers, he he started playing with the pick. Maybe he wanted that brighter. Stuff got louder, maybe? Yeah, probably, yeah. And maybe that sort of more, um, yeah, that sort of, through. The, the, the quality of 80s recordings where yeah. everything was a bit brighter. Was he pretty much always P-Bass? He was. Um, he did use... Stingray. I think in 77, 76, 77, he got um, a Music Man Stingray. So I, I remember seeing him using a, a wall. Yeah, oh, he's used a lot of different things. The, 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 he's used, um, is it a Warwick musician? Buzzard? Is it not Warwick? There's another one called a Buzzard. Yeah, the Warwick yeah. Buzzard. Um, on videos and stuff. I know ah, yeah. that I know that he has used the other one. I like Another one by the Dust is, is a Music Man with flats, I believe. Right. Um, and that's a fantastic sound. He was obviously, well, he was obviously, it's, it's virtually um, chic, you yeah. know what I mean? But um, yeah. he, he was loving all that stuff, um, <clears throat> Bernard Edwards. Always, oh, Bernard. Whenever, whenever you get like the name Bernard, it's, it, you can't say it in Britain, you have to say it the way the Americans do, because if you say Bernard Edwards, it sounds like he lives at number 10 Smith Street. <laughs> oh yeah, Bernie. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's like Graham, isn't it? Graham. Yeah. Graham, yeah. Uh, Craig. Craig. With an E C R E G. That's oh, I see. Yeah, got Craig. Yeah, yeah, Craig. Well, that's fair enough. Um, and and so that's the uh, the thinking behind it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, but um, it, it did he have a? Do you remember the Ibanez musician basses? They were like yeah, a, he might have done. Because that, that was my first bass. Oh really? And I, I'm pretty sure that I've got, there's a picture of him playing one. I think he might have done. There's a famous picture of him. I think when they're in Denmark or. Somewhere in Scandinavia, it might even have been Japan. <laughs> you know, they're fairly close. Um, and he's playing. It's so, and it looks so wrong. He's got a Fender Jazz, and I think right. it's for promotion. I <clears> think <throat> perhaps they were, you know. I'm just thinking that doesn't look right. That you yeah, know, what right. I mean? it's like, um, like this with the thumb out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like when you first see um, Geddy Lee. You know, without the, the Ricky. You know, what I mean, even, you know, even though he did play the Fender Jazz and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but you know, I, I think that. Um, most of the time, I would say 80-90% of the recordings is on a Fender P, you know. Yeah. And the thing about precision basses, which I love, is just the simplicity of it, you know what I mean? It's volume, tone, thanks, you know. Yeah. Very rarely is it not a suitable bass for it. That's the thing, it's, it's so versatile, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? You know, and you'd think, you know, oh. and I've found as well that, you know, I've, I've got I've had basses where they've got the stack knobs and this does this whatever and in the end you go I don't know what I'm doing anymore with this you know I'm not passive <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. you know and um, and I think that's what it, what's good about it. same with with jazz basses you know what I mean you, at least you sort of you can Leo sort of got it right didn't he on his yeah. first second time whatever so you, how many basses are you using in the show I've got four basses um, got three P basses I got a seventy four a black one, which is actually quite heavy, as a lot of seventies ones. I did have a seventy-six P bass years ago, which I sold, and that was like a tank. Yeah. Um, 
And then I've got two... Is that maple board? Uh, that's a uh, rosewood. That's a rosewood uh, yep. neck, uh, fretboard. Yep. Um, I've got a maple one uh, that's got flats on. Right. I try and do this thing where anything from 73 to sort of 76, I'll play flats on some stuff, you know, I'm trying the inner nerd, like Killer Queen stuff, I, 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 I'll use the flats on that. And that's always, I mean, I love the sound of that, it's great. And then I've got a, a, another bass, which is like from 2011 or something, a P bass, which is my main one. Right. Which has got this gold pick guard on it, which in, I think back in 2014, which is when we started touring in anger, they, they uh, we, I think the, the stage setting was like a gold vibe. So, and, and, and on this bass, I sort of had to go out quickly and get it because I thought I've not got a spare and I need more than the P bass that I've got, this, that, the other. And um, I just got this bass, it was nice. And uh, But it was, I didn't like the pick, pick guard. Anyway, uh, Steve Pryor, who, who was working for us, who's worked with all the legends, um, Jeff Beck, Dave Gilmore, Brian May. What uh, does he do? He's a guitar tech. Oh, guitar yeah, tech, yeah. Stuff yeah. Like that. Um, he said, oh, well, I can get you a, you know what I mean? So they, they'd ordered, I think it was Steve, or maybe it was, <coughs> I don't know who it was, but they'd, they'd ordered this um, uh, pick guard, and, and I've just kept it on since. So it's kind of, and I quite like it, because it sort of reminds me of the very first tour that we did, and it's kind of looks yeah. a bit weird, but it's that's what it is, you know. Uh, and then I've got a Music Man, um, I think it's the 25th anniversary, is it the ch some Chocolate Sunburst? Something or other, um, which I use for another one about its dust, and and, I've, and and if I if I if I can change in time, which I've not been doing, I I, I used it on time or the down and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, with John Deacon's bass parts, there's a lot of stuff. You know, there's obvious things like off date the races, like Millionaire Waltz and stuff. Do you know that track here no. or whatever? Uh, I think he must have got together with Freddie to do that. He does this lovely. Um, piece with him and you know the intro of it, um, yep. um, and it sounds great. And uh, there's there's loads of, there's loads of stuff actually um, that he does. You just think, oh, it's lovely, you know. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the interesting thing which I found fascinating, Brian told me this, was that John didn't particularly want to be told what the chords were. You know, he had great ears. They all had great ears, and he um, mm -hmm. he would just go, just play it to me, you know. And I think that's. There's a lot of inversions, aren't there? You know what I mean? There's a, yeah, there's a lot of like thirds and exactly. Yeah, and you know, he's, doing, he's doing stuff, or he's pedaling over something, or he'll, he'll, <clears throat> whatever. So um, I think that's nice. I think he, he, you know, rather than get bogged down, with, and I think that's what gave him the colour. Plus, the the interesting thing about Queen was that obviously Freddie would write in F and B flat, A flat, E flat, you know, piano as they would say, piano keys, and right. Brian would have the a lot of the like A's and E's and D's yeah, and G's, yeah. you know, the guitar stuff. Even though he was great on all of that plus Roger with how he wrote and then John would have his thing so I think in the band it was interesting for them because I, I guess it if, for each song it would it would they would bring to them you know oh it's this kind of thing so I'll, I'll do that you know good old-fashioned lover boy you know mm. it, there's a lot of stuff that I think it's easy to overlook with Queen because people say oh you know the bombastic uh, you know, front man, you know, uh, and, and showman, and this, I mean, all this, this is true. Uh, but he was an absolute genius, you know, he's, he's some beautiful harmony, you know, yeah. and, and clever stuff that he did, you know. Um, and still within that pop sort of thing, but you yeah. know what I mean? You only have to. Well, I mean, look. Killer, the opening, like, 
you know, minute of Killer Queen, it just goes through. <laughs> it's just like what? <laughs> yeah. How did we start? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just think, and that, and I think that's but the you, thing. But you're not like you're not watching and going, "Oh, this doesn't work." He goes, "Oh yeah, I'm on the journey." And yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and and Joe Public isn't going. Oh, this <clears> is too complicated. You know, his his sense yeah. of melody and where it was going and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, no, it's great. I think, I think that was the thing about that probably in the first place that that without knowing it is that. It, it, they just had great ideas, you know. And that's the thing, when you look at the set list, you know, and they're not playing things like A Kind of Magic, they're not playing mm. One Vision, they're not playing You're My Best Friend mm. or Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, they're not playing Save Me or Play the Game on this particular... Mm. You're thinking, hang on, there's another greatest hits mm. worth of stuff yeah. that, they're not, that they're not playing. Yeah. That they, you know, and... I mean, and I, I was of the era where one of the first albums I ever bought was Queen Greatest Hits. Yeah, but just after Freddie died, right? Kind of, they kind of got re-released, kind of yeah. Thing. Um, so that's what that's one of my first ever albums, and I just wore it out. That and Steve's Cool Rock and All Over the World double. Right, percent. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is the thing is that like great. No, no, it's not the classics. The the thing about uh, the Queen the first greatest hits album, it's a bit like the Eagles' greatest. Hits. It's one of the best greatest hits, best of whatever at the time. Yeah. You know, up until nineteen eighty one, I think it came out. Um, you're right. I didn't when when I got into Queen. That's when I thought, oh, well, I'll get the greatest hits because yeah. you know, and and on the original album it would tell you what the tracks were from. And so I was going, well, I've got to get that album. Yeah. You know, I love this. You know, and the other thing as well is, um, sorry, I'm being overly verbose now, but the, the um, one thing that really talking about Freddie's death um, is that when November. 1991, when that Christmas they re-released Bohemian Rhapsody with yep. the, "These Are the Days of Our Lives," like double A side. And one thing that struck me was that they played. I, I went to the pub that night. This was like, it was Christmas Eve, and and I, I, mean, I didn't. I wasn't gigging or whatever. And in fact, I, I think I've only ever gigged once on Christmas Eve. I love Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, like now, it's like with my family and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But. Um, I remember going out with my pals and stuff, and it must have been on about 10, 15 times, probably more in the night, you know, for, for the few hours that I was there. And people were on, you know, the uh, chairs and tables, and yeah, they were doing it proper, you know, singing this whole stuff. And I felt, I felt saying, you know, it's amazing. It's just like when I was a kid, you know what I mean? You know, this love for, for them and for Freddie and stuff. But what really got me was, and this is, um, this speaks volumes about like, like Brian, you know, I remember in interviews, Brian would say, I didn't just want to do like a vibey, improvised solo, and we'll take a bit of this and a bit of that, whatever, and I do, but neither did I want to just copy the melody. He wanted, he, he was through composed some of it. So when you listen to uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, it, it the audience is taken take with you, the listener is taken, you know, it's not just a throwaway guitar break. And every single person, and they weren't musicians, you know, mm. with singing, you know, the da 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 you know, but in pub chant, you know. And I thought, that's amazing. How many bands do, do people actually sing note for note the solo, you know? And I think that was the thing, here we go. Oh, is that my... Oh, that's you, yeah, that's... Uh... That's me reminding me it's 11 o'clock. It is 11 o'clock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should probably wrap it up there, man, because you do have to Let's get, not get our hands, hands in the, the coffee. Coffee. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry about that. I, uh, I just walked off with it. So, I, keep it in, though. It's, it's good comedy. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for um, 
for get me tickets to see the show, which was amazing. If you oh, get a chance to see Queen and Adam Lambert, uh, this guy absolutely nails it, and it's just thank you. It's such a fun show. Yeah, like it's, it's really fun. enjoyable. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you making time to have me over here and, and you, cheers, talk Craig. about this. Though, so, um, if people want to kind of get in touch with you or see what you're up to, Instagram probably best way. Yeah, uh, Instagram <clears throat> at Neil M Fairclough. I know, pretty heavy. Um, that you can find me on there, um, but that's kind of the only uh, social media I do. I'm a little bit of a luddite, yep. but um, but I enjoy it. It's good stuff. You yeah, know? you can get to see what we do on tour and things. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's good. All right, oh yeah. mate, great thanks, to see man. You. Thanks, Craig. Thank Thanks for your Bye. Yeah. Thank you.